Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso. This is case number 20CP192494, State versus Garrett David Rolfe. As another police officer is charged in the killing of a black man, this time in Atlanta, the country is struggling with the issue of police accountability. And a once obscure legal doctrine that shields police in civil suits has come under attack. Here's Democratic Senator Cory Booker. We have to ask ourselves as a society, do we want to have a nation where police officers who do really awful things cannot be held accountable uh, uh, to, to civil rights charges? And that's unacceptable. But the Supreme Court rejected several cases challenging the doctrine of qualified immunity. Joining me is Michael Dorf, a professor at Cornell Law School. Qualified immunity is not an issue at this point in the current cases involving police. So why has it become so much of an issue that even 1,400 professional athletes and coaches wrote a letter asking Congress to get rid of it? Well, so I think police misconduct in many contexts is being questioned. And it's true that a deliberate police killing of an innocent, unarmed civilian would not entitle the officer to qualified immunity in a civil lawsuit. Indeed, the person could be criminally liable, as you mentioned. But people are looking at a range of abuses by police, and that includes all sorts of things like stop-and-frisk policies, like excessive force, and in many of those cases that are somewhat less egregious, officers now are immune from civil liability, even if they violate somebody's civil rights, so long as it was not clearly established at the time of the conduct that they were violating civil rights. And so many people now with heightened awareness of police misconduct think that qualified immunity is another potential target for reform. Would you just explain what the line is for qualified immunity? So the the statute forbids violations of civil rights, but an officer will only be held liable for violating civil rights if, in addition to violating the rights, it's also true that a reasonable officer would have been on notice that what he was doing was a violation. And that means it needs to be, quote, clearly established that the conduct in which the officer engaged violated civil rights. The way in which the law clearly establishes that particular conduct violates civil rights is with prior adjudications, meaning precedents from other cases. And the Supreme Court has said that the precedent in the prior case has to be very similar to the current case. It's not enough that in a previous case the court said excessive force in the arrest of a motorist is a violation of civil rights. It has to be excessive force that looks like the excessive force used in this particular case. Many lawyers, academics, and even judges have criticized the doctrine for years. Is it because it's been interpreted to require this precise match 
to conduct in a prior case? In other words, has the interpretation of it become too rigorous? Yeah, so I think there are two main objections to qualified immunity. One is that some justices and scholars criticize the very concept of qualified immunity. They argue that the civil rights statute, which was passed during Reconstruction, does not contain a defense of qualified immunity, and it's illegitimate for the courts to read one in where it wasn't put there by Congress. But there's a second and somewhat narrower criticism of qualified immunity, which is exactly the one to which you've pointed, namely that the courts are giving officers qualified immunity too broadly because they require that to show that the officer should have known what he was doing was unreasonable, that there has been an exact case just like this one. And that that does seem to be a problem in the interpretation of qualified immunity rather than a problem with qualified immunity itself. So is that problem due to the Supreme Court's interpretation of the doctrine they created over the years? Have they held the victims to such a high bar? Yes, I think so. The original doctrine of qualified immunity used a subjective good faith standard. At some point after the Nixon administration, the court in a case called Harlow against Fitzgerald changed that to an objective standard. The question is, what would a reasonable officer do in these circumstances rather than what did this particular officer intend? And I don't think there's anything inherently problematic with an objective, reasonable officer test. It's just that over the years, in case after case, the court seemed to think that more and more officers were reasonable because they said that you had to have a prior case almost exactly like the current one in order to be on notice that what you were doing was unlawful. So yes, I do think it is the Supreme Court that in various cases gave broader and broader immunity. The Supreme Court rejected eight cases involving qualified immunity with only one dissent from Clarence Thomas. Wouldn't this be the time for the court to take up this issue when it's under attack? Well, I don't think necessarily it's a surprise. That is to say, the court doesn't give reasons for rejecting discretionary review in particular cases. It's true that Justice Thomas, in one of these cases and in some previous cases, has expressed the view that he would like to re-examine qualified immunity. But none of the other justices has strongly indicated that preference. And I think you also have to understand that judicial elimination of qualified immunity would not necessarily be such a victory for civil rights plaintiffs. It would depend on what goes with it. One of the things that Justice Thomas said in his dissent is that he would also like to re-examine a case called Monroe against Hape that allows lawsuits against government. And maybe he wants to get rid of that, too, when he gets rid of qualified immunity. So he would be giving with one hand but taking away with the other, potentially. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. What about Justice Sonia Sotomayor? Hasn't she in the past called it an absolute shield for law enforcement officers? Did you expect that she might write some kind of a dissent? Yeah, so I think that that, that, that's a different 
sort of critique, right? Justice Thomas is giving the first critique. He thinks that the court was acting illegitimately in creating this defense at all, certainly one that goes beyond the common law. And Justice Sotomayor is more concerned that the policy is uh, enabling abuse. Uh, but you don't need to re-examine the very idea of qualified immunity to go where Justice Sotomayor wants to go. All you need to do is, in the next case in which somebody raises a qualified immunity defense, to cut back on it a little bit. And you can do that on a case-by-case basis. I think Justice Sotomayor might be worried that if the court were to go down the route that Justice Thomas is suggesting, they might also cut back on other doctrines, some of which, as I said, favor uh, people whose civil rights may have been violated. One example would be the uh, exclusionary rule in uh, criminal prosecutions that uh, currently allows somebody who has been the victim of an unlawful search to suppress evidence of that search in their criminal trial. Uh, I wrote on my blog that uh, it might be that the price of getting rid of qualified immunity would also be to get rid of the uh, exclusionary rule, because that is also a judge-made rule. And you wrote a piece, would eliminating qualified immunity substantially deter police misconduct? And in there you bring up the point that police officers don't have to pay for the damages out of pocket. They're reimbursed for them by the city, the state. So is this really a deterrent for police officers? Right. Uh, Well, there is a little bit of stigma that goes with being found to have violated somebody's civil rights. And so uh, getting rid of qualified immunity uh, would potentially have uh, an impact that way. But if we think that the main uh, role is being played by the fear of money damages, then indemnification, uh, mostly by municipal uh, police force forces and really ultimately the taxpayers, uh, means that you're not having that much of a deterrent effect. And so you would continue not to have so much of a deterrent effect if you got rid of qualified immunity. Now, one thing you would see is potentially greater liability for local government, and that might give the local government greater incentive to supervise and to train and discipline their officers uh, to a greater extent than they currently do. Uh, so there's a, there's a possible uh, upside. Um, you know, w- one way to address this issue that I've raised is you could make indemnification illegal. Right? It would just say we're not going to enforce indemnification contracts if an officer is found to have uh, violated uh, civil rights. Um, and so that's, that's another possibility. I don't know that it's being uh, proposed in some of the pending bills that would either eliminate or cut back on qualified immunity. There's a lot of movement now in the Democrats' Justice and Policing Act. They would end qualified immunity. Congressman Justin Amash has a bill that would end qualified immunity. But often, sort of like when there are gun violence cases and then there's an uproar and a call to change gun laws, it doesn't happen when it peters out. How likely is it, in your view, that Congress will actually eliminate qualified immunity? Uh, I think it's not very likely in the current Congress because you would need to get it through the Senate as well as the House. And, of course, the Senate is controlled by Republicans now. Although, in the current political moment, it looks like there are a great many possibilities. Um, I'm not an expert in 
legislative politics. But I think that the best chance of getting a bill through in the current Congress, that is to say, before the next Congress and potentially a different president, uh, that the best chance would be as part of a larger package of congressional reform. I think a, a, a up or down vote on getting rid of qualified immunity probably would not get past the filibuster in the Senate and might, maybe wouldn't be signed by President Trump. But if you package it with something else that was sort of a compromise bill and could make it through both houses of Congress, it, it might uh, be possible. Could the Supreme Court be waiting to see if Congress acts and if Congress doesn't act, perhaps they'll decide to take it up next term? Yeah, that's a possibility. Um, Qualified immunity is a judge-made doctrine, but it's not a constitutional requirement. They're doing it as a matter of a combination of statutory interpretation and what's sometimes called uh, common law. That is to say, they have the power to recognize defenses. Uh, So Congress could overrule them on either ground in the same way that Congress can change an existing statute. Uh, And so one reason sometimes for the court to wait is to see if uh, Congress is going to make the change. Thanks, Michael. That's Michael Dorf, a professor at Cornell Law School. I'm June Grosso, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way, from design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.